0: but you know what, we put up our Christmas tree last night, so I feel like I can say Merry Christmas. So yeah, DJ Kringle, didn't know that was coming. That's a hard act to follow, right? I don't think I can maintain that kind of energy for 35 minutes, so uh, yeah, just be warned. Open up your Bibles this morning to John chapter 20. Um, You can use a paper Bible if you can find one, or if you brought one, or you can feel free to use a Bible app. It's the Christmas season, right? Welcome to December, happy December. We're gonna hear a lot about Jesus, in December, around Christmas time. So, naturally, the question comes up Who is Jesus? That's the question we'll be looking at today. Who is Jesus? I happen to think that it is the most important question that a person can ask in their life. Who is Jesus? So, a nice, easy, light message for you this, this morning the most important question a person can ask in their life. So, buckle your seatbelts. We will examine this question through the story of Thomas. In John chapter 20, famously called Doubting Thomas, the poor man. John chapter 20. So, and we will see today that Jesus is God. That's what we're working towards today. Spoiler alert, Jesus is God. John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Let's read together. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of God. So let's zoom in on this and go bit by bit through this passage again this morning. So going back to the beginning, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. A little bit of background on this text. Just before this happened, Jesus died. So it's a pretty extraordinary claim, actually, that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know what your experience says, but in my experience, when people die, they usually stay dead. So it's reasonable, I think, for Thomas to to not believe them, right? We call him Doubting Thomas, but he has a reasonable position here. People who die usually stay dead. Now, having said that, The text says, the Bible says that Jesus, not Jesus, Thomas was one of the 12, right? Those who followed Jesus and learned from him most closely in his earthly ministry. Which means that Jesus told him when he was among the 12 multiple times that he would die and then come back from the dead later. So on the other hand, if anyone should have believed that Jesus was alive, it should have been Thomas, one of the 12 And this is why we call Thomas by his poor nickname, Doubting Thomas. So, a little background on Thomas. Thomas it is according to church tradition, he, uh, after Jesus died, he was one of the apostles, right? He was one of the twelve. He went to India, according to tradition. He shared about Jesus there. Millions today trace their faith back to Thomas. He was killed, according to tradition, by an Indian king because of his faith. And after all of that, throughout church history, he's known as Doubting Thomas, the poor man, right? What does this man have to do to get a better nickname than that? But history is, history is cruel. So just like the claim that Jesus raised from the dead, it is an extraordinary claim that Jesus is God. And that is the claim that I'm making today and that, that scripture makes as well. Do you react to that claim the same way that Thomas did? Let's see how he reacts. Verse 25, but he said to them, that is Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A little bit more context here. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified like this, right? So there were nails in his hands, probably more like in his wrists, as well as in his feet, and then he was stabbed in the side with a spear while he was up on the cross to to be sure that he was dead. So Thomas, he wants to see those wounds. He wants to see the hard evidence. He wants to touch them. Again, a reasonable, a reasonable thing. Also, it's, it's again hard to throw the book at Thomas on this one because he was one of the 12, right? His closest buddies. Have you ever not believed your friends when they told you something ridiculous? If your 11 closest buddies ran in and said someone raised from the dead, would you believe them? Right? If I told you my family of five ate 60 deviled eggs on Thanksgiving Day, you'd be like, that's ridiculous. That's not true, it, uh, but it actually happens to be true in this case, but that's beside <laughs> the point. Right? I'm, in my group of friends, I am the skeptical one. I'm the one that says, no, that's not true. Nah, man, forget that. Nah, man, what are your sources? So I, I, I resonate with Thomas. I get the skepticism. And if you are skeptical like me and like Thomas, You are not alone in our culture today. A recent study by the American Bible Society, which was published in uh, 2022, found that nearly 40% of Gen Z, which would include non-Christians and Christians, believes that Jesus was human and that he sinned. I don't need to quote a ton of numbers at you. You can probably just look around your own life and look around our own society and see that the belief that Jesus is God is waning. Probably you can see that in your friends, maybe among your family, certainly among your coworkers. If you look at the news, you can see this trend. Do you ever experience doubt about Jesus? Do you ever doubt Jesus's divinity? Maybe like like some of us, you have encountered Jesus again and again in life, and yet you still experience doubt. Well, take faith if you do because you are not alone and that is part of the human condition. Barna, which is a Christian survey group, took a survey in October 2022 and reported that 52% of US adults have seen, excuse me, have experienced religious doubts in the past few years. Similarly, exactly half of those who are Christian or who have some Christian background or experience say they have gone through a prolonged period of doubt at some point in their life. I resonate with these statistics because I am also a doubter. I'm, I'm like Thomas. In fact, when I look back over my life and reflect, I find that I have gone through a period of doubt every four to five years or so. When I was in high school, I went through the typical high school pattern of wondering, is this really true? Is all this crazy, all these crazy claims in the Bible really true? Can I really take these on as uh, for my own belief and not just what my parents are telling me. In college, I was in Bible college studying the Bible and started to have all these questions about the Bible. Is this really true or is the Bible really reliable? And then again, I was in seminary still studying the Bible and I thought, is Jesus the only way? Is, is, are all the other religions really false roads? So if you're doubting today... I want you to know that New Life is a safe place to ask questions about God. It's a safe place to raise your questions, to show your doubt. And I believe that you will find the answers you're looking for. We want to hear your questions here. We want to have these faith conversations. One thing you can do if you're having some of these doubts or if you've experienced this before is go to the Take 5 banner in the back after the service and someone there will be, will be happy to talk to you and direct you, direct you to some more resources Let's continue, verse 26. It says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Notice here these first three words, a week later. One week later, Thomas was in doubt for one week. Can you imagine what Thomas's week of doubting must have felt like? He probably felt a lot of fear, what if he really believed that Jesus rose from the dead? What if he really believed that Jesus was God? What does that mean for my life? How, how do I have to change the way that I'm living if that were true? He probably had fear if he didn't believe. If he didn't believe, then all of his other friends are believing. The thing that he's invested in for three years with, with Jesus might not be true. So what does that mean? Can you imagine the identity struggles that he must have been going through? Who am I? Which group do I identify with? he was probably experiencing quite a bit of confusion and fear. Many of you don't have to imagine these emotions and doubts because you are experiencing it right now. Perhaps you are experiencing a pain in life and wondering how God could allow such a thing. Perhaps you are questioning your sexuality and wondering how God could possibly call you to live a heterosexual lifestyle. Perhaps you have friends or family who are embracing LGBTQ plus lifestyles and doubting whether a God who calls people to live a heterosexual lifestyle can be real. Perhaps you are afraid of your doubts and afraid to investigate them for fear of what you might find. Personally, I remember what it's like to experience doubt, and I expect that I will go through a period of doubt again in the future if the pattern holds true. I remember the fear of the future, the, the fear of the questions, the fear of investigating for fear of what I might find one way or the other, the confusion about what is true, the questioning of identity, and even the anger at those towards those around me. So it's important to note here what Thomas did in his doubting. Note, notice this. The text says, His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Thomas kept meeting with the disciples. He kept assembling with them. He pursued God. He kept doing the religious things, right? He kept putting himself in a position where Jesus could encounter him. He was open to the truth. So if you are experiencing doubts this morning, I encourage you to do the same thing that Thomas did. Keep coming to church. Keep asking questions. Keep doing what God is telling you to do. Keep investigating. Go to the Take Five banner. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to Pat afterwards. Talk to someone on staff afterwards. God will meet you as you seek him. Let's continue with our text this morning. Verse 26 and following. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So Jesus showed up and he showed Thomas the hard evidence. He said, look at my hands. Put your, your, your hands in my side. And in his mercy, Jesus answered Thomas' doubts and he called him to belief. So this morning, I want us to look at some hard evidence. Namely, hard evidence for the claim that Jesus is God. You may have heard the claim before that Jesus never says, I am God. And strictly speaking, that is a true statement. Jesus never says, I am God with those words. But if you understand the first century Jewish context that Jesus lived in, he clearly claimed to be God. And the Bible also clearly claims that Jesus is God in other places. So this morning, I don't have enough time to establish why the Bible is reliable. I'm going to have to assume that. If you want to talk about that, we can. That's an important assumption. So we're going to look at the biblical claims uh, that support the claim that, that Jesus is God. Namely that, and it's important to understand too, that Jesus claimed himself to be God. So we're going to look at some of that evidence right now. There is a, f- a helpful acronym from Bowman and Kamiszewski's book, Putting Jesus in His Place, The Case for the Deity of Christ, uh, it goes like this H A N D S, hands. So that stands for Jesus gets God's honors, Jesus has God's attributes, Jesus has God's names, Jesus does God's deeds, and Jesus sits in God's seat. So we're going to go through these one by one. I don't have time to read all of the Bible verses. And these aren't even all the verses. I give you a snippet of them. No, just know that there's a mountain of scripture that supports this that I don't have time to go through this morning. But I can give you the references if you're interested. So H-A-N-D-S. Number one, Jesus gets God's honors. To give you a few examples, Jesus expected people to honor him, quote, just as they honor the Father. Next, Jesus has God's attributes. For example, Jesus claimed to be just like God the Father, so much so that if you saw him, you had seen the Father. It says that in John chapter 14. Jesus also has God's names. Although Jesus never called himself God directly, the way he spoke of himself as the Son implied that he was on par with the Father. Furthermore, he has seven I am sayings in the book of John, and I am is a very explicit reference to the name of God in the Old Testament, which is Yahweh. So he's applying the name of Yahweh to himself. His I Am statements echoed the way that God identified himself in the Old Testament. Furthermore, Jesus does God's deeds. Jesus did things and he claimed to do things that only God can do. There are 37 miracles by one count recorded in the Gospels, including he calmed a raging sea with a simple word, he walked on the sea, he fed thousands of people with one little boy's lunch. He claimed the right to forgive people of all of their sins. You can see this list of miracles here that I included just on, just on a side note. Uh, and also Jesus' resurrection, perhaps top among all of his miracles, is that he came back from the dead. Normal people do not come back from the dead. And Jesus did that. Furthermore, Jesus sits in God's seat. Jesus claimed that he would sit on the seat of God's throne, the place from which God rules over his entire creation. Also, he will rule over absolutely everything in creation. So that's hands. Furthermore, are you getting the picture? There's a lot of evidence for this. Furthermore, we can see that the Jewish leaders, which were Jesus's opponents in his day, they understood Jesus's claim of divinity and they crucified him for it. People today like to say that Jesus never claimed to be God, but his opponents understood that claim and very very clearly had a, had a very strong reaction to that. They wanted to kill him for it. Here's a verse, passage from John chapter 10. Jesus is teaching publicly. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father... Are what? One. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to him, said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. His leaders, the Jewish leaders understood that Jesus was claiming to be God. Others in the early church also understood that Jesus claimed to be God, Eager to do what is good. And there are other examples in other parts of scripture where the early church claimed that Jesus was God. So there's a lot of evidence that Jesus himself claimed to be God, that others in the early church claimed that he was God, that his opponents of the time understood his claim that he was God. So that's very clearly established. Now, uh, what does that matter? Anyone can claim to be God or make something up like that that doesn't mean it's true. Well, that's true. One helpful argument that comes to when it comes to that objection is a classic argument developed by many Christian thinkers over the years called liar, lunatic, Lord. That is, there are only three reasonable things that we can say Jesus was or is. Either a liar, he's a liar, he's lying about his claims, he's a lunatic, he's just delusional, or he is what he claimed that he is, which is Lord. So let's go through those one by one. I'm gonna make the case that he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic, therefore he is Lord let's talk about liar for a second. Is Jesus a liar? First of all, many today would say that Jesus was a good man. That's pretty widely accepted in our culture, but good men don't lie. So even intuitively right off the bat, we have some suspicion about this claim that Jesus was a liar. But furthermore, just for context, right, if he were a liar, he was one of the best liars in history. He duped his 12 closest disciples, hundreds of others in his day, and he also led billions throughout history to eternal damnation. So he, he cannot be a good man and a liar at the same time. Furthermore, why would he lie about that? What would his motive have been to lie about that? It brought him, this claim, brought him hatred, rejection, and ultimately death and crucifixion on the cross. Why would he lie that he was God? Furthermore, Jesus would have known that the Jews were the least likely people to worship a man. So why would he lie to him about that? The Jews had an intense belief in Monotheism—that that is the worship of the one God, they were incredibly unlikely to, to accept the claim that any human being was God. So Jesus, therefore, it's very unlikely that Jesus was a liar. Now let's talk about a lunatic. Is Jesus a lunatic? This argument goes, well, lots of crazy people claim to be God, so Jesus could have been like that. Okay, so claiming to be God is commonly known as the divinity complex. It's a recognized mental condition But does Jesus really present like that in Scripture? Does he have the symptoms of the divinity complex, which are egotism, narcissism, inflexibility, dullness, predictability, and the inability to understand and love others the way they really are? Sounds like politicians, doesn't it? So does Jesus really present like a lunatic in Scripture? No, he does not show the signs of the divinity complex. Therefore, Jesus is not a lunatic. So, therefore, we are left with the, the statement that Jesus is Lord. If he can only be liar, lunatic, or Lord, and he is not a liar or a lunatic, then therefore he must be Lord. You might say, though, well, there's another option. And there are some other options that have been debated throughout history. I think those are the, the three viable ones. One that people would commonly say is Jesus could have just merely been a good man, even though he wasn't God. But we have already established the claim that the, the statement, the fact that Jesus claimed to be God. A good man would not claim to be God and deceive billions of people throughout history. Therefore, this objection falls under the category of of liar. But I have noticed over the years that many people will never believe that Jesus is God, no matter how much logic, argumentation, or evidence that you present to them. So I, I started wondering over the years, why is this? And I've come to the conclusion that... Much of the time, we human beings, we mask our emotional wounds and fears with intellectual-sounding doubts. Not all the time, but a lot of times, if you hear someone stating an intellectual doubt, there's actually some sort of emotional wound or hang-up going on underneath that. We don't experience intellectual doubt in a vacuum. We human beings like to think we're very intellectual, non-biased creatures, especially in this century in the West. But the truth is that we are not. We are very much situated in our emotions. So it's important to do some quality introspection when we're talking about these, these faith questions, because it can be difficult to disentangle our wounds and our emotions from true intellectual doubts. What about you? Perhaps you have been wounded by the church or by Christians. Perhaps you have experienced great suffering or trauma and wonder what kind of a God could allow you to endure such a thing. Perhaps you think, well, if Jesus really is God, then I must surrender my life to him. And I'm just not ready to do that. When I experienced doubts in college, I remember feeling a lot of anger and thinking, why did no one explain this to me before? Why am I just now coming across all of these questions, all of this difficult evidence that's hard to reconcile? Why did no one tell this to me before? Is it because there are no answers to these questions that I'm asking? I resonate with the, the difficult emotions that come with these doubts. So if you are experiencing doubts because of emotional wounds or doubts caused by the church, this morning I want to I apologize for the behavior of Christians, and for us Christians, that does not match the love of Christ. Christ is our example. We seek to be like him as believers, and yet we often fall short. We're not totally there yet. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not apologizing for the teachings of the Bible and the teachings of Jesus. But I do apologize for when all of us Christians don't live up to the, the, the example of love that Jesus sets. Please forgive us. If you are experiencing any of these emotions as you wrestle with doubt, fear, anger, and confusion, I encourage you to bring them to Jesus. Jesus is loving and compassionate. and He will accept whatever emotions and challenges you bring to him. And he will give you the answers that you need, even if those aren't the answers that you're looking for. And he will also give you comfort on top of that. Also, when we're talking about emotions, it's important to say that emotions are real and they're valid and they're important to address, but emotions don't negate or validate any truth claim, right? So, suppose you have been wounded by Christians in the past. That does not affect whether or not Jesus is God. Jesus is God regardless of how Christians act, and so there's a separation, right, between our emotions and the actual truth claims that we need to that we need to pursue. Let's continue with our text this morning. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, that is Thomas said to Jesus, a wonderful statement, my Lord and my God. So notice, is Thomas's, notice Thomas' Thomas's declaration here. He says, my Lord and what? My God. In Jewish circles, this would have been a blasphemous claim to claim that this man is God, but that's where Thomas went. Why would Thomas have said this if it weren't true? The the motivation, the motive is low if it weren't true. Thomas was convinced that Jesus was God. Now, despite the hard evidence that Thomas experienced, the nails, the nail marks in his hands and the side, etc., this is a personal theory of mine, but I think that Thomas was really convinced, not by the hard evidence, but by a personal encounter with Jesus. Jesus. It is impossible to encounter Jesus, to have a true encounter with Jesus, and to come away the same person. Jesus transforms us when we encounter him because we become like him. We start to take on his characteristics. We become more loving, more kind, more patient. This Christmas season, we have the same opportunity to encounter Jesus, just like Thomas did. One title that we like to throw around Uh, of Jesus's during this Christmas season is Emmanuel, which is just the Hebrew for God with us. God with us. This is a statement of fact and it is a promise. It's a statement of fact because if you are walking with Jesus, then he is with you. If you pursue him, then he is with you. And it's also a promise. As we go into the uncertain future, God will be with us and Jesus will be with us. If you, so if you are feeling discouragement or doubt, seek after Jesus. He will be with you as his title promises. He will reveal himself to you just as he did to Thomas. In my own life, God has brought me through every period of doubt that I have had. He has answered many of the questions that I have brought to him. He has also given me many new questions also, like better questions. <laughs> better the questions than the, one that I, the ones that I were asking. I was asking some questions, too. He hasn't answered, and he may never answer. But I have encountered Jesus, and I am not the same person. And I have confidence that even though he hasn't answered all my questions, he's given me the answers that I need, and he will be with me as I go into the future. Verse 29, let's continue. says, Then Jesus told him, Je- then Jesus told Thomas, right? Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Perhaps here there was a little rebuke in Jesus' statement for Thomas. But personally, I think this is mostly a pat on the back for Thomas. He's saying, congratulations, you saw the evidence. I presented it to you in my hands and my side, and you have believed. Congratulations, hallelujah. But he then continues to pronounce a blessing on all those who would believe without seeing him. Physically, with their eyes. Shortly after this, Jesus ascends into heaven. He goes away from the, the earth, right? He, he departs from in front of the disciples. So everyone after that who believes has Jesus' blessing. So unless any of you are 2,000 years old here, congratulations on not seeing Jesus with your own eyes and yet believing. We have that blessing from Jesus today. So where do we go from here? What is your next step If you are a believer, I want to give you an exhortation from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, which says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If you are a believer, then it is your goal in life to live like Jesus, to become like Jesus as much as as you can, right? We know that many people they, in our society today, they like Christ, but they don't like Christians because Christians are hypocrites, they say. And there's a lot of truth to that statement. So let us, let us model to the world what it looks like to be humble about our shortcomings, to be repentant about our shortcomings, so that all might know that Jesus is God. If you are doubting this morning, I have some encouragement for you today. Doubt your doubts lean into your doubts, investigate them, question them, question whether or not your doubts are true. It is not a sin to experience doubts or to think through doubts, to have doubts. Now, it is a sin to walk away from Jesus altogether, but investigating your doubts is a good thing. And we can see from the way that Jesus reacted to Thomas's doubts that Jesus is compassionate with our doubts. But he does call us to move through our doubts. He told Thomas, stop doubting and believe. So doubt your doubts, investigate them. You do not have to fear investigating the truth because Jesus is God. I'm confident of that. So if you investigate the truth, you will find that same truth. And I don't mean truth in the sense of you have your truth and I have my truth. That's a different meaning of truth altogether. What I mean is truth is the thing that corresponds with reality. So I'm making the statement that Jesus is God And that corresponds with reality. That truth you will find when you investigate it for yourself. And you don't have to fear investigating that. Here is a a method for you all this morning. If you are having doubts this morning. Number one, write down your doubts and your questions. Get them written down in front of you so that you can count them and know what they are. It helps to clarify your thinking. Number two, pray about them daily and ask God for direction. Bring them to him on a regular basis. Number three, keep pursuing God. Do what Thomas did. Keep coming to church. Keep asking the questions. Keep putting yourself in a situation in the, in, the, in the position where God is going to encounter you, where you are going to encounter Jesus. In that vein, number four, pray every day for an encounter with Jesus. He will reveal himself to you if you ask him for it and keep asking him For it. Next, investigate your doubts. Ask a pastor, ask a godly friend for some help, for some direction. Find good sources. I'm not talking about any mommy blogger online or anyone can throw up a blog, right? So find good sources, find good books. There are plenty of godly people around who can who can give you some good sources. Next, discuss your ongoing thoughts with godly people. Godly people can help you navigate through a lot of these, a lot of these concerns. Some people in, in the church have really specialized in things like this. So find those people. It won't take you long if you start asking around. And then finally, this is Jesus' exhortation for Thomas. And this is our exhortation this morning as well. Stop doubting and believe. There comes a time where you have all the evidence that you need and you just need to believe. Maybe you are in that place this morning. Maybe you've gone a a good way down this list already, and you have all the hard evidence that you need, and you've experienced Jesus, but you have an emotional hang-up of some kind. Talk to a pastor or godly friend or mentor. If you're ready this morning, take the step of faith. Commit your life to Christ through baptism. You can take that step of obedience today. There's a baptismal font or pool ready at all times here Go to the Take 5 banner afterwards and you can talk with somebody. So stop doubting and believe. Let's pray this morning. Oh Lord Jesus, you in your mercy encountered Thomas when he was experiencing doubts. We know, Lord, we have confidence in faith that you will experience, you will encounter us as well when we have doubts. Lord, walk with us in those. Father, thank you that you came to earth as jesus we thank you that jesus is god we thank you for this truth father be with anyone today who is struggling with a commitment to you whether they've made that commitment before in the past or not be with those of us here who are experiencing any kinds of doubt father heal any wounds that are in between people and a true commitment to you father be with us believers Uh, Give us strength, your strength, to live like you live, to live like you lived when you were on this earth and to live the way that you would have us live. Guide us, believers, as people of humility and of repentance for the, the hardship, the struggles that we have caused for other people, Lord. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.